This episode is sponsored by Bow Lake, the most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Visit bowlake.com and learn more. That's B-E-A-U lake.com. Bow is French for beautiful. B-E-A-U lake.com. You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. The Amalfi Coast in Italy is, and has long been, one of the world's favorite high-end destinations. In the middle of the last century, particularly, it was the escape of choice for much of the luxury yacht set. These days, it's got competition all over the world, but the fundamental attractions are still there. The climate, the geography, views, the people, the culture. A thousand feet high on a hilltop in the town of Ravello, with a spectacular view of the Amalfi Coast, is the five-star luxury hotel Palazzo Avino. The Pink Palace was originally built in the 12th century as a private villa and has undergone many transformations over the centuries. A careful renovation started in 1997 by legendary hotelier Giuseppe Avino, then carried out by his daughters, the sisters Mariella and Attilia Avino, transformed the ancient building into the new it place to be on the Amalfi Coast. My guest on the luxury item are sisters Mariella and Attilia Avino, co-owners of Palazzo Avino. Mariella is the managing director there, and Attilia is the director of sales and marketing. They've joined me to talk about growing up in the hospitality world in this glamorous destination, taking the reins of the family business, and how they are keeping the iconic Palazzo Avino in a league of its own. Welcome to the luxury item, Mariella and Attilia. Ciao, Scott. Welcome to Ravello. Thank you. You know, so the Palazzo Avino just last month officially reopened for the new season, and so starts a new chapter in the storied property. What are you especially excited about this season? Yes, we actually opened in April, and uh, that's what's very exciting about this uh, coming season is that really luxury travel seems to be totally back after COVID. Right. So we are seeing such an excitement in the guests coming to the property, in the guests in the area, about discovering, breathing in all the sun and uh, the beauty they can. So I think that's a very beautiful attitude we are observing, and I think it's making us smiling even more. Yeah, and so far you're seeing um, a lot of people coming back. You're seeing a lot of regulars um, since you opened. Yes, we do have, um, as a a family-owned hotel here in the area, we do have um, a pretty high percentage of return clients. It's about 25%, which Mm. is uh, very good. And uh, they are uh, even more excited to come back, but uh, we have also new uh, guests that are excited to discover the Amalfi Coast and Ravello specifically. That's great. You know, and the history of Palazzo Avino is so interesting. Can you share the history and the heritage of Palazzo Avino, which sits on a property dating back to the 12th century and how your family first got involved in the luxury hospitality business? Yes, uh, so the hotel, um, as I always uh, call it, the Pink Palace of the Amalfi Coast, it's a property going back to the 12th century, and it was a private villa owned by noble family from the area. They started, uh, the Sasso family started the hospitality uh, business in the area in a very natural way, 
they were hosting artists and writers that would come to the area. And then in exchange of their hospitality, they would get uh, as, um, um, as a gift, the paintings, the, the, the writing pieces. Um, what happened was that year after year, then the, the family uh, eventually extinguished and uh, the property uh, was kind of abandoned. It became an hotel back in the 50s. And then we bought it in 1995. Actually, our father bought it in, in 1995. And uh, he had the vision because the hotel was a shell of a building back then. Uh, he could see the potential. And we opened in 1997 as an hotel. And uh, since then, uh, and all the renovation has been a very conservative renovation. So all uh, the whole property uh, and the whole hotel has been built around what was the historical building. So it was more that the hotel adapted to the space than vice versa. And I think this really makes the hotel uh, the, the special uh, property it is today. And you were both born and raised on the Amalfi Coast when your father bought the hotel in 1997. You were both still pretty young and this magnificent pink palace was your playground. Did you know early on that you were destined to go into the family business at some point? Absolutely. It kind of uh, grew in our blood, this passion, uh, when uh, we are three sisters. So when uh, our father bought Yodel, um, I'm the oldest one. So I was 13. Uh, then my younger, uh, my middle sister, Atilia, she is, um, it was back then 10 years old. And actually on the, on the year, uh, the hotel was officially opened in 1997 our youngest sister uh, just born. So um, we actually kind of like all of us in different age frames, we kind of grew inside Yodel and we did feel like we wanted one day to write a piece of the history of Yodel. And uh, I joined uh, Yodel in um, uh, 2011. So it's been a while already. And Attilia, who is working as well on the property, joined Yodel uh, five years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, when you first started, like having more of a hands-on role, like what were you doing right at the beginning? Right at the, at the beginning, I think for me, it was important to familiarize to the hotel, uh, seeing it more as a, a business space, more than a family space. Uh, because I, I, growing up at the hotel, I, it felt more like a home. So I think uh, at the beginning, the not easy part was also... Um, working and uh, business-wise, having relationship business-wise with uh, all the department heads, for example, that they had uh, seen me grow, uh, grown throughout the years. So it felt more like I was the young um, in, like compared to them. But then like uh, after I would say like five, six months where we got this kind of orientation, uh, they were my um, biggest uh, pillars to learn doing and uh, to bring my vision into the property. And um, this has been a treasure, like also to experience, uh, to gain their experience, like on a day by day basis and to have my vision uh, brought to them, uh, to, to, to be brought in front of the guest. And I think this was uh, really key. Uh, also because back then I was very, very young, I was 26. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role and Atelier's role at the hotel? Yes, so I act as a managing director. And um, so I take care of the operations when the hotel is open. 
the hotel in fact is seasonal we open from april until the end of october and during this uh, time frame uh, the day by day business is very absorbing and when the hotel shuts down, I also um, work on the sales side and um, I participate to the luxury fairs and uh, the, the B2B um, promotional activities we do on, uh, in our major sources market, sourcing market. Attila is director of sales and marketing. So she travels uh, um, a lot to also throughout the year when the hotel is open as well. So she takes care of our major markets and also um, like she, she travels to Australia and she participates in all the luxury travel fairs, also the ones that take place when the hotel is open. And of course, since we are a family-run hotel, when the hotel is open, we are all uh, in one extent involved in the operation part as well. We are very multitasking. <laughs> so what were some of the most important things you learned about luxury hospitality growing up immersed in the entire hotel experience and observing how your father ran the business? I mean, things they didn't teach you in your studies. So what I, what I always say, even to like uh, young uh, professionals uh, um, joining our property, uh, that uh, we have we do work in a in an environment where common sense has to be key. Like there are many things that you don't really learn uh, while you are at university uh, pertaining this business. It's a lot what you learn on the job, and it's a lot about um, sensitivity towards the guest. So um, I always question myself when I'm not sure about uh, how we will deal with the, uh, like a new procedure or a new service we are offering, how the guest would, uh, how as a guest I would perceive it and how I would love to perceive it as a guest. And uh, I think um, uh, we don't uh, work on scientific uh, formulas. It's more about uh, getting uh, that very high sensitivity on uh, what guests expect in a property like us. And uh, I think that's the, the, the biggest learning point over the years, um, that common sense in its best uh, meaning is what really is key in what we do on a day-by-day -day, uh, basis. So in 2013, Palazzo Sasso changed its name to Palazzo Avino. The Palazzo Sasso had already earned its reputation as a luxury giant among the hotels along the Amalfi Coast. And while your family already owned the hotel, it was reborn with the Avino name attached to it. So did the renaming also come along with a rebranding? Absolutely. Uh, this was my first big task. Uh, we had the legal issue of the use of the, of the name Palazzo Sasso, so we had to rebrand the hotel. We questioned a lot what was the perfect name, and actually we were so in love with Palazzo Sasso, so we could not find at the beginning the perfect name. But then uh, we talked uh, like uh, within the family, and we said we are three sisters, eventually our name will disappear, um, so why don't we we have our family name on the property. And this was the answer, we, we went for it. And uh, along with the name change, there was uh, the rebranding of the hotel throughout because we had the, the logo and the name Palazzo Sasso almost on, uh, uh, on everything from the coasters to whatever you can think of can be branded, uh, branded in an hotel, it was branded. And I have to say it was my way in a way to um, also to help me uh, bringing my visions on also on the later things because I was forced to 
rethink whatever we had around with the with the old logo and the name. And it was an occasion, an opportunity to relook at all the items and uh, brand them back with the Palazzo Vino. Now, the best thing that happened is that when I travel for sales or Achilla travel for sales, when I'm I'm asked, what was the old name of Diodala? So <laughs> I think that's definitely like something that makes me smile because it was definitely a tough, tough job. Yeah. And so was there a new distinctive identity that you wanted to create for the namesake Palazzo Avino brand portrait? Yes, it was even more about the family identity and the family run business. So I think it was a great opportunity to tell the story that there was a family behind that probably in the past, having also had uh, a, a more a more like a structured approach would have been more difficult to um, to send the message across. Also, there was this uh, operational side. There was this uh, change as well in the property because the, the last general manager um, suddenly left, and that was uh, kind of in that position. Shall I uh, hire a new general manager or shall I uh, jump into the role? So I think the and I actually jumped into the role with the support of the family. And I think the fact that I was telling the story about the name change and why this had happened uh, helped a lot to uh, to get the message through in the right way. I, it would have been totally different if a, a general manager not being part of the family would go out explaining why the family have deci- had decided so. Whereas uh, uh, hearing from my words and from my eyes, because everyone could understand it was not an easy decision, we were kind of forced to do it. Uh, I think it helped a lot to get the message in the right way. So how do you think the property has evolved in the last 10 years? My response would be uh, more and more uh, making it feel like a home. And uh, I strongly um, uh, believe this is very, uh, can be easily perceived now. And, and also from as a professional, since I started work on the property, I evolved in the way that everything I pick for the hotel, for the restaurant or uh, for the linens, for the um, towels, I always try to look at what I can source uh, uh, from an artisanal point of view, from artisans not going for the big brands. And um, this, at the end, uh, when it comes, when it gets in front of the guest, uh, they are, have a strong perception of something that's, that's been, uh, every item has been well thought through and uh, nothing can be really found some, uh, elsewhere. So whatever I, I have designed or think for Diodel, I try to make it very unique, like uh, that somebody comes from my vision. I work with the local artisans that create the vision I have. And um, so I think in 10 years uh, from uh, every corner of Diodel, uh, I try to envision and make this in place in a very strong way. So compared to, this, to, to the past, I think this is very uh, strong. You know, it seems so many of the Italian hotels that are legendary and inspiring in the travel industry are family owned, especially in the luxury segment. What does the Italian spirit of hospitality mean to you? We uh, proudly uh, bring a 
flagged out of, on this. And I think also we are very lucky to be in an area here on the Amalfi Coast where uh, the, the major uh, beautiful and most uh, iconic hotels are actually family run with strong families behind. And uh, I, I proudly think this is really uh, what makes us unique compared also to other destinations in the world. Uh, there is a very strong crowd uh, from the grandfathers to the nieces uh, where we are actually just the first generation really, but uh, um, I, I admire uh, all other colleagues where uh, they, the dream has been uh, grown through different generations because I do believe business-wise that's the most difficult thing to bring on. And uh, there is something about the value of the family that's very strong in Italian culture that I think it's reflected also in the family business that we are so proud to be part of. So how do you think luxury hospitality has changed since you entered the business? I think it goes along for, with what I was saying before about the like specific uh, that pertains to each destination or each hotel like uh, getting away from everything that looks or can uh, feel standardized. I think that's what uh, more and more um, hospitality is about, luxury hospitality is about. And not even just luxury, I think this is really true throughout because there are also very simple places that because of the soul that there is inside, uh, the owners uh, who run the business, everyone gets so excited about, I think, I don't want to use the word experience because it's been, I think, overused in our business, but in our sector, but uh, I, uh, there is a lot about breathing in what's around you. And I think uh, like my main goal is that when the, a guest enters the, the door of the hotel has to perceive in any different touch point that we are on the Amalfi Coast, we're in Ravello and we're in Italy. So I think that's really where uh, the luxury sector is going. We'll be right back after a quick break with more of my conversation with Mariella and Atilia Avino. The most beautiful paddle boards in the world. Bow Lake. The water is calling. We're back with more from Mariella and Atilia Avino. So the Malfi Coast has highly coveted and limited real estate, so new hotel openings are rare there. You know, from a competitive landscape standpoint, do you just look at those set of luxury villas and palazzos dotted you know, along the 13 towns and villages on the Amalfi Coast, or do you cast a wider net than that? No, I think I, today we do compete uh, worldwide uh, because there are so many accessible destinations, uh, beautiful and um, amazing as the Amalfi Coast could be. In terms of the area, uh, of course, the, the area we could be considered as a competitive, uh, um, like a destination with different competitor hotels. But like for in uh, uh, in my case, I strongly believe that uh, that's why also I was talking about the family business in the area that we are all uh, properties with very strong identities. 
And uh, when we do have uh, guests staying with us, they normally combine it with the Positano, with the Malfi, with Capri. So I do, I strongly believe uh, all the other properties in this competitive set, they do uh, work along with us uh, to create the destination. So it's not a um, uh, it's not a real competition. I feel like we more compete with the other destinations, maybe in Italy. They could be look like or uh, some some somewhere around the world. You know, many of the competitive properties along the Amalfi Coast lean into their breathtaking views, extravagant dining experiences, architectural beauty, and elegant decor. So how does Palazzo Avino uniquely position itself from the competition? I think it's about also uh, each of us is, uh, are, we are all located on the Amalfi Coast, but each village has its own identity. So I think the distinguish, um, the, we distinguish each other already from where we are. Ravello from Amalfi from Positano, one doesn't exclude the other. And also the other thing is that uh, all the properties uh, being all very historical, uh, no one is similar to the other. So like, for example, I, I strongly believe Ravello compared to the rest of the Amalfi coast is still a bit off the beaten path, even if it's been uh, more and more discovered. But also the fact that it's high above the hill overlooking the water, it really gives a perspective on the Amalfi Coast that you cannot get in other villages in the area. Mm -hmm. And the property itself is not uh, very common, uh, even on the coast to uh, access a property that goes back to the 12th century. There is lots of history, um, lots of um, emotional uh, uh, pieces that you can get just working around the property. There is, for example, in our inside uh, little restaurant which we don't use that much because we are um, we have such a beautiful terrace overlooking the water but it's kind of an old um, uh, old Riyadh because the, the the whole property has been under Arab domination and the property kept some of the architectural uh, features of that area so for example it's uh, like that itself it's uh, an architectural um, moment that I think is very key uh, when getting access, access to the property. So are many of your guests regulars? And what is the description of the kind of guests Palazzo Avino attracts? We have uh, around 20-25% of regular guests. Uh, we do, over the years, we have um, more and more younger clientele uh, coming to the property. I think all the bits and pieces that over this uh, 10 years we, uh, um, we created in the property as experiences, uh, they attracted more and more uh, honeymooners, uh, clientele looking for a, a very uh, special experience uh, in the area. You know, the level of competition at the ultra premium end of hospitality is unimaginably high and it keeps getting higher. Extraordinary service and experiences quickly become table stakes as guest expectations continue to skyrocket. What are the, you know, the biggest challenges that you're facing to improve the guest experience to meet those expectations and give Palazzo Avino a distinctive edge? I think key in our um, sector is really service. So what we um, we strive constantly to keep the service and to make the service uh, better. We are lucky as a property to um, be able to have a very high retention rate on the on the employees. 
So this, of course, uh, um, season after seasons allow allows us uh, to keep uh, a certain level of standard always super super high. And um, the um, historical employees uh, they are actually ambassadors with the new ones when they come and join into the property because it's all about our vision that over the years uh, becomes their vision as well. So I think this is really, uh, and of course, there are all the, the things you could think of, like investing in the property, um, making a new bar, uh, creating a new list um, uh, at the bar. Of course, these are all things we, we invest a lot of time on, but really at the end, service is what's uh, really key. How important is it to make sure that you and your family are visible throughout their, their stay? Oh, we try to make a stronger force in this. So it's either me or Natilia, when we have a guest coming in, a special guest coming in, we always try to um, also spend time with them. And um, also at the reception, we had um, our team has been years for, uh, for years. So you would also uh, have that, kind of uh, really family uh, hug in a way when they come in. So I think that's also very important as a, a welcome to the property to make them feel uh, they're kind of at home. So Mariella, a few years ago, you opened a luxury boutique on the property called The Pink Closet. It was designed by renowned interior designer Christina Celestino. At the time, you said it was, quote unquote, inspired by the idea of a dream closet. What's the story of the pink closet? So the pink closet is a little dream that came through in uh, 2019. Uh, actually, in front of Godel, I always had this dream of opening a, a boutique for Godel. But uh, we do have a little pop-up inside the, the, the property, but uh, it didn't fill the right space because it was too small for what I had in mind. So in 2018, uh, an art gallery right in front of Godel got on sale. And I actually said to my dad, I think we have to buy it. I'm not really sure yet what we're going to do it, but uh, how we're going to do it, but we have to buy it. So we jumped into it. And uh, I remember like in December, I was talking to um, the architect Celestino and uh, to, to share my vision about the idea of creating a traveler closet accessible to the guests coming to the property. And uh, this is how the physical space got the vision and got the, the start. And the idea was since after many years of traveling throughout the winters, I always had this great, great passion about fashion. So everywhere I would go, I would just uh, keep a couple of days before or after the trip to source into local designers. It's been, and uh, of course, I was also doing shopping as well. So I kind of collected so many different things, different brands. And uh, um, I, I thought it would have been very special to be able to share kind of this selection or the selection I, I had done throughout the years uh, with the guests. And this is how the, the idea of the dream closet came in. So this is on purpose. I don't have uh, a selection of only Italian brands, but it's really worldwide. And since last year, actually after COVID, we started to collaborate with the Fashion Trust of uh, Camera della Moda, which is the um, fashion institution in Milan, mm -hmm. in order to have um, uh, to support the young designers. 
So they share with me uh, their list, the designer they support year over year, and I try to pick from their list the ones that feel more close to our uh, vision. And uh, we create collaborations, which are a great way to showcase these youngest designers and also to give our guests a selection of brands they will normally not get in uh, bigger stores on, or in concept stores. So you used Christina Celestino again the following year when you unveiled a special capsule collection of suites and rooms that she curated. Why did you decide to revamp the rooms? So uh, the idea of the capsule collection was kind of a drop like you would see in fashion uh -huh. uh, industry. So this was a bit the, uh, the idea. In fact, we kept a number of rooms just to seven because we wanted to have this kind of a bit more modern twist on some selection of rooms for those guests who look for that. So it's um, those are rooms that have a strong uh, ensembles about the 50s Italian architectural pieces. There are lots of um, um, uh, color color uh, games about what's outside this in terms of colors that we were able to bring inside. And so the idea is that we could also um, attract and uh, entice those guests that are a lot into design. One of the biggest challenges facing luxury brands is becoming and staying relevant for a new generation of clients. Relying on heritage alone is not enough for luxury brands to woo an increasingly younger and diverse clientele. Innovation and cultural relevance have become essential for luxury brands. How do you go about balancing conveying Palazzo Avino's rich history while also making it feel modern? So I try to uh, add the modern twist more in the what are what the service is about. So whatever I introduce um, uh, in terms also of the core, I'm very uh, conservative because I strongly believe like um, when a guest come comes to a property like us do expect that we do steps also in the design part that are very true to our history. When it comes to uh, the services, like for example, the lobster and martini bar, that's a, proje a project we uh, pushed uh, a bit more. Like we there, for example, we have a selection of 100 different martinis. Um, I had this beautiful um, glasses made uh, of ceramic in Sicily that I found through a very local artisan that we are using for um, the special cocktails at the bar. So in that case, if you, of course, look at that, those glasses, those are, those are a bit that uh, modern twist I, I wanted to bring to the project, but it's uh, like the, the bar itself and uh, all the common areas uh, themselves. There is nothing too pushed in that in that side. So I think the soul has to be preserved as it is, the soul of the property. But we can kind of play around things that are more um, guests can easily perceive, but they don't touch what's our soul. So I want to talk about the popularity of the Amalfi Coast. These days, it seems like everyone is heading to the Amalfi Coast. It's always sitting on top of an annual best and gold list. You know, tourism is breaking all records there. You know, this hashtag Amalfi Coast has more than 700 million views on TikTok, but popularity has a price. You know, you read about spiraling numbers of large vehicles, including passenger vans full of tourists on the road, 
which at times is single lane with narrow, you know, switchbacks is compounding the agony of traffic during peak season to the point where last summer, the Italian government imposed an alternative number plate system that only allows cars down the 22 mile stretch along the coastal road every other day. Has the influx of visitors since the country reopened to tourists been a mixed blessing for Ravello and the surrounding areas? Well, I think the, um, it's true that we are a, a very small area where there is a very high level of tourism. So it's, I think it's correct that we all have to try to serve uh, the, the areas the more, the area and the areas around the more we can in order not to have an overflow of tourism. I think as a Ravello itself, did is affected but not as much because it, it's uh, by definition for how it's uh, located mm -hmm. it's very difficult to access like for example in Ravello you, you there is no opportunity for big buses to stop so um, this already prevents a massive tourism to get to the area and uh, and you don't have actually roads where these buses could go so uh, like but for the rest of the course, of course, there's been a challenge. And um, I don't think uh, the Amalfi Coast is uh, affordable as, as other destinations. So still the massive tourism that probably cities in Italy experienced after COVID um, did not impact as much. In our case, definitely like, for example, the alternate uh, uh, number plate system it's something that has a, a direct and a very effective impact because that's uh, really key the, because the problem is are mainly like the roads that get to overload with traffic so what else is new for guests to experience in 2023 at palazzo avino so we launched this year uh, the, the um, renovation of uh, the Infinito Suite, which is one of our top suites that was done uh, by a Neapolitan architect. Uh, called, uh, his name is Giuliano De Luva. Uh, I um, chose him for this project because this is a very specific room uh, located on the fourth floor, the only suite in that area that has very uh, interesting architectural, uh, architectural uh, corners with many arcs uh, throughout the suite and the tablets has a beautiful terrace overlooking the, the sea. And uh, I wanted to bring that space back in time. And uh, this is what actually we did. We even used a, an old um, uh, floor from uh, 600. It was very difficult to source. And the other interesting thing that we never did before, uh, the, the suite itself is a, um, an art piece that was designed by Tremlett. Um, this artist is very famous for his works on the colors. So he designed a, the tiles, a, he made a painting, and then this painting was actually transported to tiles that actually embrace the guests when they get into the suite. And um, having, the guest kind of uh, working on the art piece was uh, the idea of uh, creating an experience in the experience. And uh, since we we have this uh, suite, since we opened, it's been, um, of course, booked and loved by all the guests who, 
um, were lucky to to stay there. The other thing I'm very excited, the other new thing I'm very excited about is um, we have a new exhibition at the Café dell'Arte, which is our inside bar. Uh, it's called this way because uh, in the past, uh, the noble families in Ravello used to, as I say, to host artists. And this space um, was kind of used to showcase what they would bring. And we kind of uh, retalked about this tradition. And we are, year after year, we have different artists showcasing in this property. In the property, uh, this year for the first time, we have a, a, a photographer, uh, a photo reporter. So we have an exhibition um, that's about his uh, work. Uh, uh, trips to war areas and uh, it's been a collection of all the photographs that he thinks are more um, special for his work and I have to say I was very scared about this decision that I have made because I thought this is a, a, a location where um, I'm not sure guests would want to think about uh, this kind of uh, black door and instead, on the contrary, we're receiving many queries, requests, uh, information requests, because everyone is very attracted by these um, images that are a bit of um, a, a triumph of resilience in a way. And um, I'm very glad that we were able to also add this kind of uh, thinking process uh, for the guests getting to the property. Um, so that's also, and the last but not least, we launched our own wine, um, which is called Maravilla. Uh, we bought last year a very beautiful vineyard next to the property. It's right in the center of Ravello, so it's very unique to have uh, vineyards uh, right next to the hotel. Yeah. Uh, this is the most historic part of Ravello. It's an old vineyard. And actually, there is also a beautiful garden next to it that uh, we're going to, we're already working on the project, we'll, we'll see the light next year, but we already have our own wine that is called Maravilla. It's a DOC Costa d'Amalfi, so it's very, also a beautiful blend. And uh, uh, the name is Maravilla, it's also very special to us because it's the blend of our three sister names. So it's Mariella, Attilia and Vittoria. <laughs> and uh, like we are very proud of it, proud, proud, proud of it. Uh, we actually only uh, serves, we only have uh, around 700 bottles so it's only served on property but it's uh, and guests are loving it actually so we're very proud for that Mariella my final question is the luxury item question which I ask all my guests so if you were stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one luxury item with you what would that luxury item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation to get you off that island or anything that requires mobile service so you can call somebody to get you off that island. What would that one single luxury item you would like to have with you on this deserted island? Now I will make you laugh. I will, I'm not really an island person, not even a sun person. So my, <laughs> my luxury item would be a huge wicker hat just to prevent my sun, uh, locking the sun. No, I like that. I've, I've, we've had people answering uh, with sunscreen. So that's, uh, I like that with the, with the big hat. If Atelia is with you, what would, what would be the luxury item that she would have? 
Uh, yes, actually, uh, she she's a lot uh, a makeup lover. So she said, never with the lipstick, never without lipstick. Never without lipstick, even if you're the only person on the island. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I love that. Mariella and Attilia Avino, co-owners of Palazzo Avino on the Amalfi Coast, wishing you the best of luck this season. And thank you both for joining me on the luxury item. Grazie mille, Scott. Thank you for the opportunity. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.